Hello. Hello. Hey, Ben. Hey, Don. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Um, I'm I, everything. Everything is good. I'm. Uh, you're, you're not eating chicken. No, I'm not. You know what I'm. <laughs> you know what I am eating now? Toast. Um, no. Toast. <laughs> With um, a little bit of uh, margarine and some strawberry jam on it. That margarine that has the trans fats. Doesn't I got it? yeah, I got the trans fat uh, extra extra transy. Um, that was such a great album. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, it was so. It, it was so progressive. Extra transy. Um, so hey, you know what else I'm I'm doing? What are you doing? I'm drinking a I'm drinking a coffee. How about that? I, I have uh, I have a, a coffee which I uh, uh, locally sourced from Starbucks, and uh, I have uh, some soda water that I locally sourced from my kitchen. Fantastic. Um, are you eating anything today? Mm. Well, because people don't love it when we eat on the podcast, um, <laughs> I uh, I finished my breakfast already. Well, what did you have for breakfast today? <laughs> Suddenly. Suddenly, this is a very different show. Um, I had uh, one egg uh, over medium. Mm. I had three strips of turkey bacon, uh, which, uh, by the way, if you cook those in, in my microwave for two minutes, they come out perfect. And uh, and then what I do after I after I so I can't I can't run the toaster oven. And the microwave at the same. People are fascinated by this. They, I, they I, love can't, this. <laughs> I can't run the toaster oven and the microwave at the same time, so um, uh, I don't use the toaster oven to toast my uh, corn tortilla that I eat with all of that. But what I do is after I fry the egg, I have a little bit of uh, uh, olive oil left over, uh, and I fry the corn tortilla in the olive oil, and then I I kind of put it all together on a plate and then um, just sort of like make it into something re- remotely resembling a taco. And then I just shove it in my face as fast as I can because it's a horrible mess to eat because the egg yolk isn't completely solid and then it runs everywhere. And uh, yeah, so that's that was that's my breakfast. That's that's fantastic. So, <laughs> I, I mean, we've been doing this uh, this sh- little show of ours for 40. Well, 40 for 40 years. It seems like for 40 years yeah, for 40 years for for 45 episodes point. 45.1 episodes, let's say. 45.05 episodes. And uh, this is the first time we've talked about uh, your your breakfast habit and, and mine. I mean, um, it seems like we should have gotten to this a lot sooner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because like, because people are always coming up to me, Ben, and they're saying, hey, you're the guy with the podcast. What do you have for breakfast? Well, Don, it's, it's not about them. It's about us, isn't it? Isn't this just, just a couple of guys hanging out? And uh, and if people happen to listen, then hey, that's great. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. <laughs> um, so uh, well, that's good. I I don't have nearly the the same exciting um, descriptive breakfast uh, as as you do. I do like I do like to make myself an omelet every once in a while though, um, and I like to uh, uh, I, I've got a, a a flat griddle. That that I purchased like this, you know, Hamilton Beach, whatever the the generic uh, type of griddle is. I like to do uh, uh, two eggs, um, put a little milk, salt and pepper in there, um, throw that on the on the griddle, and uh, I like uh, uh, guacamole and salsa in my uh, in my uh, omelet. And I we I, I eat that three or four times a week. Well, maybe that's not true. Maybe two or three times. Yeah, I I I pretty much like guacamole in, in just about everything. We've been eating so much guacamole. 
and this is about food safety at this point because um, I don't know what episode it was, but we'll have to get Andreas. I'm sure will be able to fish it out. But back um, probably around 29 or 30, um, we talked about cilantro and how kind of uh, problematic, according to the USDA uh, microbiological data program, it is for salmonella because you did some calculations and I. Knowing the risk, I still eat a lot of salmon or a lot of salmonella. I eat a lot of cilantro. Maybe I eat a lot of salmonella as well. Um, and we we make we, we grow. Um, while we have trouble growing cilantro, we we probably buy it two or three times a year to to grow it and keep it outside. But it just uh, there's pest control issues I think here. Um, so we end up buying quite a bit. But I eat a lot. Of, we eat a lot of cilantro. I love cilantro. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, Chris, Kristen is a big fan of cilantro. I don't like it quite as much as uh, she does, but um, but we do eat a, a fair bit of it here. And yeah, and something is eating our dill and and I think I think uh, parsley. Uh, we've got these uh, things eating the eating that in our garden. And and Kristen was saying that she was gonna. It was a, a very scary looking caterpillar, and she was all set to ki- kill it. And then she looked at what the butterfly looks like and. Uh, and the butterfly that the swallowtail butterfly that come that that caterpillar turns turns into oh, is actually cool. quite pretty, um, except now it's made its way all the way through um, uh, her her dill and it's it's doing a number on the parsley and so she's weighing the <laughs> weighing the value of the butterfly versus saving uh, uh, her part of her herb crop. So um, I, I I don't know what she's decided. <laughs> it's trade offs, Don. It's just it's always trade offs. Yeah. Um, well, well, that's cool. We, uh, we I'm, I, I'm on what they call a staycation. That's, I've, that's, I've heard of those. Yeah, that's what that's what I see it on Facebook, guys. So I'm, I'm hanging out at home. Um, uh, this for the next week. Uh, it's been, it's been crazy. So, but you're, so you're, are you technically on vacation? I guess so. I mean, yeah. Are, um, you, wearing, are you wearing pants? No, no, no pants. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not. I haven't showered. But oh, it's just like a regular workday for me. Right, right. That's yeah. I'm not sure that that's a differentiator on whether I'm on vac- staycation or vacation or not. But I'm uh, I'm kind of stepping back for a week and doing fun stuff with the family. We might we we we're undecided on whether we're going to go to the beach for the day because the weather's a little bit variable this week, uh, or whether we're going to go to the mountains, which uh, which we've not as a family gone to the mountains before. Um, maybe hike out there for a day and. There's some sort of in Boone, North Carolina. There's some uh, train museum, which is uh, appealing to the boys. Mm. So yeah, we're just I'm just hanging out, which is cool. And cool. Then, well, I, I, I appreciate this, since you're technically on vacation. It sounds like I really appreciate you making the time to uh, to talk with me today. Hey, this is uh, this, this is different. This is not like uh, answering um, questions about canning peppers in oil. Um, this, I, if, if it would make you feel better, I could ask you questions about canning peppers and oil. That'd be awesome. That'd be cool too. And I will, I will answer those next week sometime. <laughs> Perfect. This will be, this will be a very different podcast. <laughs> um, no, it's just, uh, this, this is something, this is something that we do. This isn't, uh, this isn't a work thing. This is, this is just part, this is part of who I am. I feel this. I feel the same way. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm hanging out at home. We're gonna do some fun stuff. We're gonna cook a bunch. It's one of the things that that I think I uh, I end up sacrificing sometimes. I do a lot of cooking on the weekends, but during the week I don't. Danny Danny takes care of a lot of the cooking, um, and so uh, I, I feel like uh, well, I I enjoy that, and it's kind of nice when you've got you know I'm not 
you know, coming home or running around and it's four o'clock or five o'clock and trying to put everything together and hang out with the boys. So, so I'll have a little more time this week to do so. And I haven't, it's, I, I'm in a weird spot with this. I haven't decided when my staycation is going to end. It's, it's currently got an undefined, it's open-ended. I think I may uh, hang out here until next Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, but I might go back on Monday. I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't have plans right now. It's kind of fun. To, to risk uh, to risk completely alienating all of our listeners with with academic minutia, do you have to fill out a um, uh, absence report or vacation form thing? I do, um, but ours is kind of a weird situation. I think I have to just report that I took vacation um, within a couple of months, so I don't have to do like a pre, you know pre-approval or anything like that i just have to say yes i took vacation days on these days mm-hmm. um which all seems very loose um so but it's I, I don't know it's like i'm sure you you run into the same thing it's really hard to, to sort of divorce your your day of when you're when you're doing things that are not work related and you are i mean it's so much it's a lifestyle so the, you know i i rarely i think i'm i'm allotted five weeks like uh, what would that be? Uh, uh, Twenty-five days of vacation days a year, I think. This is me. I, it could be three mm-hmm. weeks. I have no idea what it is actually. And and I probably take like officially, um, I'll report. You know, maybe eight days a year. You know, if I if I go to Canada for a week and I know that I'm not going to have my phone on and I'm probably not going to check email until late at night, then I always sort of throw those in and say, look, I'm, I'm I can't do my job. Um, you know, especially some of the extension stuff on there. So I always sort of report that. And then this week's kind of a, you know, same situation, but there's often days like where I am, you know, going for an oil change or, you know, doing, doing the things you do. And, uh, and then there's often days where, um, you know, where I'm working on a paper at five o'clock in the morning. So I don't know. I don't know how to, yeah. to separate what I do to, from vacation for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I can't, I can't really do that either. I mean, we went up to, after IAFP, we went up to New Hampshire. Uh, but then on Friday, I drove from the campground where we're staying down to UMass Amherst, where I could have a meeting with my colleague, Mika Peleg. So yeah. that was work. And then, and then last night, I finally had the right information and I had enough time, so I was working on migrating the New Jersey Association for Food Protection website over to Squarespace. Right. Well, is that is that work? Well, I guess so because it's a service function that I would put on my CV, um, but I was doing it at, at 8, 9 o'clock at night and sending emails back and forth to try to get the right passwords and to wrest our domain away from those evil bastards at uh, – Go daddy and, and, and get all of that and get all that work. They're not going to sponsor the podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, and, and so was, is that work? Well, I, I guess so. Um, did I, it was, it was like a volunteer thing, but it's, you know, I guess it's a food safety association and I was doing, using my expertise to do stuff for them. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, the, the lines are very blurry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, I, I can't, I mean, that's part of the, the draw to me to be in the the world that we're in is that it's so so blurry and i hope no one ever kind of calls me on it and says hey you know report what your hours were because i think that would i think i would end up spending more time trying to figure out when i stopped and started than you know than i could be working on stuff that's productive and i, I, I mean see, 
Yeah. And that's and that's uh, that's where I think you and I are very different. I am just waiting. I've been waiting for 20 years for somebody to call me on that, so I can just get out my pencil and paper and I can start figuring it out. You know that I'm working like 80 hours a week. <laughs> but it's like, well, okay. So, but was that setting up that Squarespace website for New Jersey Association for Food Protection last night? Was that fun? Absolutely. I had to go in and figure out how to do a WordPress export and then a Squarespace import and. It was just – it was great. I mean I was like learning stuff and doing doing stuff and feeling useful and productive. So uh, yeah, it's the uh, yeah, best best job in the world. Yeah. I mean absolutely. Best job – so good segue. Best job in the world. We got to hang out um, like in person, you and I, and uh, with a whole bunch of other friends um, as part of our job uh, last week. And, and I, I don't know about you, but it wasn't awkward. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> but – but you know what, what? What it was awkward was for some of our fans. I had a couple of people come up to me and say, it's really weird to hear your voice and you're right here. Yes. That – I uh, experienced the same thing and I didn't realize how awkward that would be for others. We made people uncomfortable, Don, by showing up in person. <laughs> At least we had pants on. We did have – I yeah, I, I think one or two times I was wearing shorts, but – um, they were, I mean, it wasn't like the, uh, current garb that I'm wearing now. Um, but yeah, it was, that was kind of weird. Wasn't it that someone would come up and say, Hey, I hear, I heard your voice just now. And I thought, Oh, it's just like the podcast, but it's weird. Cause you're standing here. Like that, that made me feel a little more, I don't know, guarded about what we talk about or something. Not, nah, not, nah, that's not true. But it, it, I, I rarely, I, I never really think about who's listening to this. Or very rarely. I mean, I know you do. You're concerned we shouldn't talk about what we're eating, but I rarely do. Um, and um, and this this IFP more than than others in the past, it made me kind of realize it's like, oh, you know what? There are people that we don't know who might be downloading this. Which ultimately, that's the point, right? But <laughs> right. but but it's weird. It's there is some that that was a um, that that was a, a kind of an, a, a weird feeling, like people coming up and introducing themselves and. And and I used, I mean, uh, you probably get that uh, it, as as I do in other things. And you know, sometimes when I'm writing for barf blogs, someone will say, "Hey, I really enjoyed that." Or you, often there's emails, but it'll be at a talk I gave, and someone will say, "I really like you know what you what you wrote." Or or conversely, I thought what you wrote was garbage. Um, and and you you don't always kind of put place who the audience is, I guess, or at least I don't. And so it was kind of weird to, to be like, oh yeah, people are, people are listening to this, which is, which is awesome, but also a little bit uncomfortable. Well, and you know, actually it made me kind of feel less awkward about something because as, as you know, um, we've, uh, we've, I've, I've hosted uh, Merlin Mann here at Rutgers and talked to him on the phone where he was not, where he was talking and I couldn't see him, but he was talking to me actually like talking to me and not, not on a podcast and met him in real life. And it was very weird for me. So to me, it was kind of like, I could kind of go to the people that said that to me and kind of metaphorically pat them on the hand and say, they're there. That's completely normal. This is what it's like when you meet a person from the internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or at least in my experience. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, so that's so funny. Um, so a- anyway, it was, uh, um, let's, let's talk about the meeting, not to, to really bore people, you know, uh, people who sit in meetings, I well, hang on a sec. Let's back up. I don't often like going to meetings. <laughs> so what's better than going to meetings? <laughs> Hearing someone talk about going to a meeting. <laughs> well, and I, and I think, yeah, we do. 
We, we, I mean, I think certainly we can talk about um, uh, there was a lot of cool stuff that did happen at uh, this year's IAFP uh, meeting. Um, we gave away T-shirts. We did. Uh, we gave away magnets. Yes. Um, uh, we met a lot of people that we knew that listened to the podcast, and we met some people that didn't. And I got at least one new person to start listening to the podcast. <laughs> well, that's Excellent, and I saw some of the uh, um, Facebook uh, message exchanges that that you uh, sent me about that. More listeners, always good. Um, I, uh, I, I, it was, um, I, we, I mean, I, we hosted the meeting here, so the affiliate that I belong mm. to, um, the Carolina Association for Food Protection, um, we uh, put the the meeting on. And I say we, I mean, I had very little to do with with anything. Um, other than um, spending a, a day stuffing bags uh, for uh, the attendees, but gigantic, oh. gigantic bags loaded with food, goodies, lots of goodies, nuts. How many nuts were there? Oh, I just finished that bag of cashews. So good, it was awesome. We had some very, yeah, really, really great um, donations from from folks uh, across our two states, North and South Carolina. Um, but uh, I mean, the real the real heavy lifting on on a lot of this was done by um, the a local um, uh, organ, local arrangements uh, committee, and uh, Steve Tracy uh, chaired that and uh, co-chaired, I guess, along with uh, Angie Fraser, and, and they just did a, a fabulous job. I mean, I just said put my name on a list and I'll show up, and, and they took care of all the organization. Um, and and I, I one of the things. I can't remember if we we talked about this sort of on the podcast or off the podcast, but uh, a couple of years ago when um, when uh, IFP announced that we are going to uh, host uh, the um, the annual meeting, uh, a couple of us who are sort of semi-active in the affiliate were were a little bit nervous just because of the the sheer numbers of people and volunteers that were needed, and we were like, well, we don't really have the most active. Um, you know, group, uh, and, and it's tough cause we, we span two States and, you know, we get really good South Carolina participation when we have an annual meeting in South Carolina and vice versa in North Carolina. Um, but man, we, I, I think, um, if you want to increase your, um, participation in a local group, host a big annual meeting because man, we had, you know, 70, 80 people that, that pitched in and were part of this. And, and I think it was, uh, it was really good for our affiliate to, to host it. Um, and I mean, like I said, I I had such a such a small hand in the whole process. Um, the a lot of the work and, and congratulations goes to the the folks who did a lot of that heavy lifting. And and I would say too, you can tell when the local arrangements committee has their act together, and you guys definitely did. I mean, it really it really seemed to be well organized. Everything, even even the absurdity of the gigantic bags of food worked out. And I saw you guys all pitching in and helping with that. And uh, we had a welcome from Steve Tracy, um, you know, at the opening session, and he was just so poised and articulate. And then we had a, a local a local speaker, um, you know, come and give us a welcome and. Just, just was really, uh, it just came off really professional and really well done. So I think it, it very, it reflected very well on you guys. Oh well, thanks a lot, Don. I'll, I'll take that back to the, to the group. I know we'll be uh, getting together uh, for a conference called the sort of debrief uh, on the whole thing. So I'll mention that. 
Um, but I mean, I heard lots of really great uh, accolades from folks. Other than, you know, you will always have the detractors that say, I can't believe how big those bags were. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that would be me a few minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was worse. There, there was one comment of this is, the, the, you know, like someone that, that was like actually angry. That, well, uh, no, I, I did, I did hear some people that were upset, but you know what? Again, to the credit of the association and local arrangements, somebody, you know, somebody raised the concern. Well, I don't want to carry all this food back with me. This is such a waste. Why are we doing this? And so they brought in donation barrels. Yeah. And guess what? People, if they didn't want the food, they could donate it to a local food bank. And wow, bam! You know, everybody wins, right? Taken care of. Exactly. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't go to. Um, gonna go uh go to waste or anything like that so um so hey i want to i just want to like give a couple of shout outs and i i i um was um i guess convening a few sessions so i didn't this year i did not get a chance to to go in and out of sessions as much as i have in the past uh couple of years i was kind of um stuck doing my thing um on the stuff that i had organized but i I just wanted to give a, a couple of folks um you know, shout outs because I saw a, really two, um, two talks that, that I think were, um, phenomenal. And, um, our good friend, Michelle Daniluk, who I know will listen to this and, and will hear it. And I've already told her this, um, in person and you were, you were in the room. She gave, uh, I think one of the, one of the best symposia talks that I've seen, um, sort of deconstructing the, um, proposed FISMA produce rule water, um, uh, water limits for agricultural water, or mi- uh, micro limits for agricultural water, and, and a couple of experiments that that she ran to to sort of look at whether those limits were a realistic and b w- whether they did anything. Um, and I just, I mean, I've I've seen Michelle talk a bunch of times, um, but but she sort of told a story that um, was w- really really excellent, um, and just just a really well constructed. Uh, a couple of projects and, and just a fantastic um, presentation that that I know well, as I was sitting in the room and, and I mean the the room for this session was was packed and was one of the larger ballrooms. Um, I know that she captivated the audience and I think it, the the stuff that she that she did and I know you had a hand in, in some of this. Um, I, I th- you know I think that um, the industry and um, regulatory folks in the room, I think, probably, hopefully, will will sort of take notice to to some of the data that was presented. But I just I just wanted to give her a, a props to for such a great doing a great job on that because it was yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, and I told her the same thing, and she says, "Well, you would say that you're my friend or something like that." And it's like, no, Michelle. If I if I if I am your friend, and if I didn't like the if I didn't like the talk, I wouldn't say anything. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie and say you gave a great talk when you gave a crappy talk. I'm not going to tell you you gave a crappy talk unless you ask me point blank. But no, I mean it was a really good talk, and yeah, and she did uh, she did mention the one of the things that she talked about was the uh, the, the paper that we published together um, in Applied Environmental Micro on. On predicting salmonella populations from um, indicators in, in surface waters in Florida. And it was, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of concern and discussion right now about quality standards for water. And there's a lot of, a, a lot of heat, but maybe not a lot of light, right? A lot of, a lot of smoke, a lot yeah. of discussion, but nobody really has any data. Well, guess what? Michelle has data and we've analyzed that data and it, it, it tells, guess what? It tells us that it's more complicated than we thought. Um, 
but at least we we now know something that we didn't necessarily know before and 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 yeah and she, and she and that was only one small piece of it she really wrapped together a whole bunch of the different the the research that she's been doing and that others have been doing to tell a really nice story i thought yeah absolutely i walked away with um you know i i've followed this issue fairly intently here uh walked away with with some really um you know key key new pieces of information on um hey you know, there's a lot of water that's not going to meet this standard, you know, specifically in Florida. And we, what does that really mean? You know, the, we, we've kind of picked this arbitrary standard of, um, and I'll, I'll butcher the, the numbers, but I want to say it's like 235 MPN for E. coli and um, on any one given test and 136 MPN geometric mean, something like that. You can correct me if I'm uh uh, wrong on that, but you know her. What she showed was, yeah, look, there's a lot of water that, and we in in, a, in one of the largest growing areas in the country that doesn't that's not going to meet this, um, and we don't see that many. You know, I, I hate to go into the trap of what I always call people on, but we ha I mean, we haven't seen that public health risk of those, that many outbreaks or illnesses associated with it. So what's the what's kind of the deal um, on it if it was, you know, 50 percent of this water that she looked at? And then also the the second part that I walked away with was and even if we arbitrarily set this this limit at um, 235, well, hey, um, there's going to be a whole bunch of samples that still have salmonella in it uh, based on uh, on some of the work that, that she did. And, um, and and so it's like, well, it's it, the standards, you know, on one side isn't maybe enough and on the other side it's too much and, and it's complicated. So so let's let, let's look at this. Maybe maybe setting a standard isn't as important as everyone evaluating their own water source. And I think that's that's going to be a, a challenge, but that's the that's a more um, realistic risk-based uh, uh, answer decision to this to, uh, to this water. I just I mean I, I, I you know I hate to fixate on this, but I, I was just kind of blown away with with the story, I guess. And I'm all about stories. Right. And and the 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 key point that she made was that at the end of all of this, at the end of all of this data and uncertainty and standards that maybe aren't protective, the punchline was, guess what? We need a way to disinfect if, if these we're going to use these standards and we're going to use Florida surface waters for irrigation, what we need is a technology that allows us to disinfect large quantities of water on demand. Thousands and, and thousands of gallons. Uh, right. Yeah. And, 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 and to me, that was like, oh, yes, of course. But that's, that's like – that's not a very – without that preamble and that setup, that's not a very sexy thing for somebody to study. Mm -hmm. But you know what? She, she convinced me. It's like, okay, where do I you – know, I'm going to get out my checkbook. Who do I write a check to? How, how can we get this thing made that's going to do this thing for, for, for agriculture? Because, yeah, that's what we need. Yeah, well, that's yeah, to totally true. Um, anyway, props to props to Michelle. It was great, and I know she'll she'll be listening to this. So, um, and we wouldn't have talked about it on here. Even we, I would have talked about it even if she wasn't listening. Well, I would have talked about it even if I wasn't her friend. Well, exactly, because <laughs> it was a great talk. It was. Um, so the second talk that I saw that that kind of blew my mind was. Um, in a session that I organized, so it, so of course uh, it was you know likely because I invited um, this individual, but no, no, um, 
I put together a, um, along with Ron Schmidt and Renee Boyer, um, put together a symposia on food safety at farmers markets. Um, this kind of growing area we've talked about here, seen lots of media coverage around um, farmers markets and uh, you know things like food fraud and um, local food miles and a whole bunch of stuff. And, and often the microbial food safety gets wrapped up into a, a whole bunch of different areas. And it's an area that that last year when I was um, uh, last fall, when I came up to see you in New Jersey, I spoke on uh, a project that we did here, food safety at farmers markets, and I'll uh, we'll link to the um, all the material that we developed for that um, uh, project uh, in the show notes. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the only one who's working on this kind of stuff. So um, invited, we invited um, Judy Harrison from University of Georgia, um, Marissa Bunning from Colorado State, um, and Claudia Coles uh, from. Uh, Washington State Department of Agriculture, but she couldn't come, so she um, uh, sent Karen Killinger from Washington State University to talk about some of the stuff that they're working on, uh, farmers markets. And so we had these like you know four different parts uh, of the country, or you know diff- different approaches, I guess, to uh, to this issue of farmers markets. And it, it started off with uh, a really nice talk um, from. Um, uh, Velma Lakins from the uh, USDA Agriculture Marketing Service to sort of talk about how USDA tracks farmers markets and and, and what we know about it and sort of this, the the whole um, know your farmer know your food campaign and, and and Velma was challenged a little bit on that on sort of the perception of food safety so that's there's my preamble I'll tell you the the home run talk was from Erin Job um, so she she finished off this whole um, session and she's the uh, market manager from the Carborough Farmers Market in Carborough, North Carolina, and she, you know, she she sat there for um, two and a half hours and listened to everybody's uh, talk, and then got up and said, "Okay, you guys are all talking in really great abstracts um, because none of you are really in this world, and let me tell you what this world's like." And and she went through and said, "We're, you know, th- these are the things. This is what." our model looks like here's how we you know everyone i think that this is this is the situation that i've seen with farmers markets is everyone kind of um makes a lot of broad assumptions about well you know farmers market vendors don't know what they're doing and managers or you know owners or what like there's there's all this sort of mess on what the systems look like and she said i don't know what all the systems look like but i'm going to tell you what mine looks like and i'll tell you why we set it up this way and i'll tell you what i do uh for food safety and i and i know i don't have it all right and what what you need to do um in, you know uh, as you walk away from this session is figure out how to work better with the market managers that are out there that are looking for this information or are not going to traditional sources for it um but it, she just i mean uh, you know similar to to michelle's discussion really just took a sidestep to some of the traditional presentations that I've seen at, at IAFP in the past. And, and I, I mean, I tried to do this a couple of years ago and I can't remember what the, um, what the symposia was, but we, you know, we, I'd organized something. This is going to sound really abstract. I'd organized something and, and I wanted to get someone from that audience to come talk about it. I th- actually, I th- I'll tell you what it was. It was when we were in Columbus um, and uh, we were talking about restaurant inspections and disclosure systems. And, I, you know, as, uh, the same thing I said, well, why don't we get a restaurant inspector from Columbus Department of Health to talk about this stuff? And it's in those situations where, where we're actually exposing all of us food safety nerds to the the real world of the smaller type 
processors, smaller type systems. I mean, we have lots and lots of really fabulous industry members that that are doing fantastic things for food safety throughout the world and and are are doing you know the the uh, best job based on the best available science we don't often reach out to some of the smaller um um you know it, it, smaller type uh individuals um you know like a farmer's market manager and so i you know i was i was happy that we were able to get Erin, and, and she just came through with a a fabulous talk that that i think you know put the the message to those 110 people in the in the room of this is all great but you need to come out and see what it's like in in, in our world to then figure out how we can how you can help us fix it uh or or address it and um and it was yeah it was it was just awesome it was very heartening to, to see a such a great talk and she was nervous because she had just sat through two and a half hours of people telling everyone how you know um in some cases, how horrible farmers markets were, and then seeing really tough questions about, um, uh, you know, what, wh why, what kind of microbial um, data does anybody have to say that food safety is at a farmers market is is better than other elsewhere? And I, she kind of addressed that subtly in her talk by saying, "I don't have any data, and I don't even plan to make a, the, you know, those claims are." are not something that, that we're part of. What we're trying to do is do the best job uh, to reduce risk here with what we have. And I was like, man, it was good. She totally got it. Well, and, and, you know, to me, that's one of the great things about the kind of job that you and I have is that we have to talk with, as I called them the other day, normal people, right? We have to talk with people that live and work in the real world, not in the ivory towers of academe. Um, and she should have been completely confident because she, she should have known that she knew more about the real world of what it's like to live and work and be at a farmer's market more than any of the academics or, or other people in the room, right? That was, the, that was the thing that she brought to the party was that deep expertise in what it takes to run a farmer's market, not the, not the food safety expertise and blah, 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 but, but, but really the, the, true, the true, you know, everything – from beginning to end of what it takes to, to set up and run and, and staff and, and manage a farmer's market. And that if you have discussions without those people at the table, you might as well just not have the discussions, right? Because at the end of the day, that, that's the thing that you're trying to improve or make better. And to do it without engaging those people is ludicrous. Right. And, and even, um, you know, I'm as I'm as guilty of this as is what I'm as what I'm going to talk about in a second is even to for someone like us to tell the story of the farmers market isn't even doesn't even come close to whether we can get somebody who's actually there to talk about it. You know, like like I'm I'm I, I mean that's what I did. I came to New Jersey and I said, okay, look, this is this is what we did. We worked with the farmers market. Um, uh, industry or sector, and and we learned these things about them, and then we created something. But but just to you know, if if we could just take someone who's there and get five minutes worth of video to say, look, these are the things that I deal with. That's probably way more powerful than me talking about all the stuff that that we did. You know, like that's that's something that I that I think for. Um, that grabs my attention at IAFP is is this this idea of something something different something I can't get from a from a paper or um, and I th I think the symposia are moving that way I, I mean I in and I think that's what they're supposed to do and roundtables we'll get to that in a second are are you know are are phenomenal. Um, 
uh, venue for this where you get to exchange these sort of evidence-based opinions. But but I, I don't like the symposia set, set up or, or some, you know, some people get it and some don't. The the ones that get it say, okay, I'm going to give you something new and I'm going to give you some some opinion and I'm going to show – I'm going to use some data and I'm going to use some of mine. I'm going to use someone, some of somebody else's and I'm going to show you this story or, and, or I'm going to bring somebody in and they're going to talk about what it's really like, not um, – Let's you know. Let's let's pick a let's pick a topic, and we'll all do a review of that topic, because um, I think we can get that information elsewhere. It's, yeah, because quite quite honestly, just uh, give me the citation and send me the document, and I'll go read it because that's going to be a lot more useful than hearing you tell it to me. On the other hand, right, like you said. If you can take existing information that has not been synthesized and synthesize it for me and tell me a story that's interesting. I mean that's what I, I always try to do when, I, when I'm asked to give one of these symposium talks is to say, okay, well, okay, so here's some stuff that you've probably thought about, but maybe you haven't thought about it in this way. So let me help you think about it in this way that's new for you and maybe it's new for me. And for quite a number of years now, and I know <clears> – <throat> I know you want to talk about roundtables, but for quite a few years, back before I was on the board and when I was on the program committee, to me it seemed like roundtables were languishing. We couldn't, we couldn't get people to figure out how to do a roundtable. Like they do a roundtable, but then everybody would bring slides. And it's just like, well, no, that's not really a roundtable. And then finally I think the program committee said, no, look, we're going to set up these roundtables in rooms with no slides. So going into it, you know – you're going to have to talk extemporaneously without slides for five minutes, right? And and then let's have a discussion. And so you you really need presenters that are engaged. You need a moderator that's engaged. And mostly you need people in the room. And that was the thing to me that blew my mind about this year's meeting is I was in a couple of roundtables or these panel-type discussion sessions where – it was standing room only. I mean, the one, the first one, it was just like, I mean, it was dangerous, right? There were too many people in the room and they were blocking the fire exits. And it was all I could do to stay in my seat and go and not go like yell at the people and say, look, you have, the fire marshal is going to come in here and he's going to kick us out. He's going to close down the meeting. You have to move away from this door that says exit because it's not, it's not safe. I mean, it was that, it was, the room was that uncomfortably full. I mean, there literally, there was a butt in every single seat and blocking the fire exits. I mean, and to me, that's a, that's a, that's a terrible, that's a disaster waiting to happen. On the other hand, that's a sign of that we're really doing something right within the association. Absolutely. And that, that, that people are going to, the thought is you're going to go there and see something you couldn't have seen somewhere else. That there's there's some some extra value of of throwing all these individuals in, into a up on stage in a panel or in a roundtable, and there the synergy of of those speakers is going to give you something more than what they could what you could do on their uh, what they can do on their own. And and I mean I'm yeah that's I mean I, I I'm a I'm a sucker for theater. And and I think that the the roundtable system allows us for some for some theater if we can um, uh, harness it. And I was uh, Linda and I put together one last year um, around produce um, training and produce, and we used the clickers and um, to to do voting, and and it was it was really cool. It was really fun to think of it as you know as a as a moderator for it. All I thought of it was this is a show. Um, this is a show that's based on um, the the individuals who are sitting up on stage, their knowledge, 
the data that they they they'll bring with them in their heads to make their points and we got to keep the show moving because we can't sort of stop on one uh, on one topic we we always got to you know keep it going and i mean that's the um you know i think that 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 you know a technical session and even a symposia to to some sense, uh, um to some uh, extent they're not shows this 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 is and that's that's a draw i think for for people and i think we have a nice mix of this right you can't have all show and no technical content it's nice to have all these different options um uh together and, and i mean kudos to the to the program committee yet again for this for this meeting i mean there's never the the last five or six years the common um theme that i that i hear from everyone is Oh man, there was so much going on at one time. I couldn't get to see everything I wanted to see. It's like, great. That's why they're recorded. Yep, <laughs> it's perfect. Like that's 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 the that that's the draw. That's that's great. So, um, so I did I did want to talk real quick really quick about um uh roundtable that that you participated in with uh, Doug and Gary Acuff and Linda Leak and um uh, Dave Gombas and uh someone else. I think her name is Diana. Um, from the National Fisheries Institute, it might not be Diana. I'm I'm blanking on it. Uh, Lisa Wedding. Lisa Wedding. Good, thank you. Not Diana at all. Um, I really, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed that discussion. And again, I, I'm a little close to it, and you're probably a little close to it as well, since we you participated and I organized it. Um, but that was that that that's for me as. Um, you know, still, still relatively young in my career in this area to get everyone together to talk about stuff and just sit back and watch it was, was fantastic. Um, so what, you know, what did, what did you think? What was your, what were your thoughts? Oh, and also, did you see that, you know, the food safety news, Marler's, uh, crew covered the round table? I did see that. Um, which was kind of interesting as well, like like something that we put together and you were part of. Someone wrote a story just on that. <laughs> well, and 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 Doug and Doug wrote about it too. <laughs> he did he did write about it? Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Which we should link to. So, um, yeah. So just to to set the stage for people that weren't there, it was it was set up. It was kind of set up. It reminded me of a boxing ring, right? And we were joking. We were joking about, um professional making some professional wrestling jokes when when we walked into the room but so basically there was um a, a, a raised platform in the middle of the room on on that platform was a, the literal literal round table surrounded by a number of chairs and there was no assigned seating so everybody just came in and assorted themselves into those chairs and then around those chairs around that round table on this elevated platform there was a, a an audience full of people and again another sort of standing room only very very packed um and i i forget i forget how it started i guess so the 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 title of the session was bridging gaps between scientific assessment of risk and public perception and it basically we we had a chat with each other and with the folks in the audience and as it says in the the uh the agenda or in the abstract the goal of the roundtable is to discuss differences between scientific assessment of risk and public perceptions, where the challenges lie, and how industry regulators and academia can engage the public to discuss risks. And it really, we really had a good, you know, heart-to-heart -heart discussion about, well, so how do we engage the public? And we talked about, uh, we talked about uh, pink slime, or as it's uh, more 
um, known in the industry, lean, finely textured beef. Uh, we talked about um, um, microbial risk. We talked a little bit about packaging. We talked about pesticides, um, uh, organic, sustainable, local. And it just was a very, very freewheeling, interesting discussion around all of those issues. Um, and I was, it was fascinating. I mean, I would do it again. Uh, in, in a heartbeat, I'm very interested to to hear the recording of the session to try to to to, to kind of get a because when it's happening, it's it's very different from a symposium style uh, session. In a symposium style session, you're giving your talk and you pretty much know what you said because you got slides. And then the other people are talking and you can pretty much listen to their talks um, and and watch their slides. With this, you really have to pay attention. And I mean, a number of us had laptops and we were, we were searching for things, but um, it's much more freewheeling and very much more fast paced. And the conversation can take a very quick turn. And, and the thing that you're going to say is maybe no longer relevant or you have to bring the conversation back around to that. So uh, it was fascinating. I really don't remember, other than me making a joke about Doug sitting on the toilet, I really don't remember too much of it. And of course, and, and uh, Gary, Gary Acuff being very composed and very wise as he always is. And, uh, and, and Linda Leak uh, talking for a long time and telling a very interesting story. A filibuster, um, as it were. Yeah, as a filibuster, as it's been called. Uh, Dave Gombas being very serious and not saying a whole heck of a lot. Um, yeah, I, other than that, I don't, I don't really remember too much. So I'm really looking forward to the recording coming out so that I can listen to it again and find out what it is I said. I, I know I do remember I said a couple of things that were funny and made everybody laugh. So that, to me, that's, that's really my only goal is to, get the, is to get the audience to crack up once or twice and maybe, and maybe think and, and learn something. But, um, but yeah, I mean it was, it, was, it, was, it was unlike anything I think that I'd ever done. And I'd done roundtables before, but it was – the, the way this was set up, again, most roundtables are still done in a symposium-style room where you have people at the front and an audience to, you know, on, on one side. This, we were – it was kind of hard. We could, we could sort of make eye contact with the audience and we could – the mics were, were um, uh, wireless so we could turn around and look at the audience if somebody behind us was asking a question. So that was cool. Um, but – um, but for the most part, it was you were looking at the faces of all of the other people, um, which was which was very very interesting. And like I said, unlike anything else that I that I'd ever done, I guess probably I would have to say more like a podcast than anything else that I've ever done. That's that's cool. I mean, that's kind of what I was hoping to to get out of it was um, this this freewheeling discussion. That I mean, I had a I had a list of. I don't know, six questions, five or six questions. I really only asked the first one. Um, we didn't get to the other sort of discussion prompters that, that I had. Cause, cause, cause you guys all took over, which was, that was the goal. And it was, um, I think it was too many people, um, from a show standpoint. Um, and it's, it, it was, I, I think it, it was, it, it'd be more effective to do something like this with four the, as the, the you know, as I'm moderating it, what I was trying to do was make sure that everyone was involved and it just, that gets too tough. Like it's not, um, it, it becomes artificial to be like, well, Linda, what do you think about this? So, um, I think we had absolutely had the right, um, individuals up there, but it's cool that you said, you know, that it's, it was more like a podcast. Cause that was, it, it as I was sort of throwing this together, that's exactly what I was trying to, um, trying to do. And that's, I mean, why, um, we, we put the folks on there that we did. 
um, as well. And, and I should I should mention that um, it's not you know it wasn't just sort of me. Barbara uh, Blakestone um, from oh where's Barbara from National and she's from the the seafood industry. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, she she had a, a big hand in in pulling this uh, all together um, for it. So she was uh, she was there. But it was it was uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean it was it's kind of fun to sit back and watch, and that's that's what I was all about. Well, yeah, and but see, not only that though. I mean, you need so what you want is you want strong personalities, but you also need somebody with a quick mind and a strong personality who's moderating it, who can, who can kind of make sure that it stays moving and it stays hopping. And I think you did, you did a very nice job of that. Uh, we, we should say too, and we'll link to the, the talks are from IAFP are not up yet. Um, and they, they may, they may be up by the time we get the podcast posted, but at the very least we'll link to the abstract book, uh, the PDF abstract book, which is online and people can, can search for this. But I think we should also point out that originally as the abstract book, as it was published in the abstract, book um one of the speakers was supposed to be Caroline Smith DeWall. And as it turned out, Caroline wasn't going to speak, but it was going to be somebody from her association that was going to speak from the Center for Science and the Public Interest. But then because of something that happened the day before, um, they ended up not being part of the program. Absolutely. And, and that was, um, I, th- I think, a shame um, uh, that that did, didn't happen because I think it would have really, really added to the discussion Similar to, to what I was ta- talking about with Aaron Job, where you know we've got a, a situation where you have um, you know some academics and some industry folks, but there's not a um, a, a voice from um, uh, this is the, you know the, we you know someone who represents consumers or is is part of a consumer group to say this is what we know about what our constituents you know feel and need and what we've seen. Um, and fortunately, the individual, um, her name's Sarah Klein, she did uh, ask a question in the in the panel. But yeah, there was... right. So she got to she got to be involved, even though she wasn't on the panel. So she did. yeah. She did. So yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think and, and I think that, again, for a number of years, I've been really when I was on the program committee, and since then too, pushing this idea of roundtables. And, and we had we had we really, we, we really did well this year, at least the ones that I was involved with. I don't know about the other ones, but my, my sense is that, that I didn't hear about one single session, either roundtable or not, um, that was a, that was a dud. I mean, I, you know, so I think that we really, we really did, did a great job and I can't wait to check out some of the other roundtables when the recordings get posted to find out, you know, what, uh, what, what people had to say. Absolutely. And it's, it's fun to walk around the meeting and talk to people about what their experiences are and, and, um, I, I spoke with a um, with a guy here from who's from North Carolina, uh, works for one of the larger grocery store chains, who said, um, you know, this is on Wednesday morning as I was uh, heading off to uh, to a talk. He you know he stopped me and said, you know, this is this is the first time I've been to this meeting and it's great. And he sat in on a um, a session a symposia that uh, um, Haley Oliver and Tom Ford put together on. Um, you know, listeria in retail, uh, listeria myocytogenes in retail settings, especially around slicers and cleaning and sanitation. And he, I mean, he, he just said to me, like, with all, like, seriousness and and conviction in his face, he goes, that was the greatest meeting I've ever been to. <laughs> like, so, you know, the, that there are, um, it, uh, there's so much for everybody. And it's it's really nice to see that 
that people get really passionate about this stuff and it's something that I wouldn't have been passionate about, but, but it really mattered to him and his, in his job and, and what he does for, for this grocery store chain. I was like, man, that's, that's great. That's what this is all about. That, I mean, that's, that's the kind of meeting we, we, we want to put together where people come and say, this is the greatest meeting I've ever been to. Yeah. So it was, it was good. I'll, I'll tell you, I was, I was tired and I, I think I'm always tired um, at these meetings cause I'm I, social and things, but but I was really, um, by, by the time Monday rolled around, I was like, I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't think I got as much out of it content wise as I've had in the past. Cause I was running from session to session and I was not, um, I hadn't done, I hadn't slept a whole lot. So, well, I, and yeah, and I have long since, uh, given up on getting any content out of out of <laughs> anything. Um, to me, the meetings to success. If I show up for all of my talks and I give them, <laughs> and 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 also I have learned that it is just a horrible meeting. I mean, if I don't if I don't get seven or eight hours of sleep, six, six let's say six six to seven hours of sleep. So I I know I can go to the bar and I can see my friends and I can drink, but. I really need to be in bed before midnight or if there's one night I can maybe push it a little bit. But other than that, and it's, and it's especially hard too as you get more involved in the association because you have 7 o'clock breakfast. I think I had a 7 o'clock breakfast almost every day. Uh, the one day I got to sleep in, I had to give a talk at 9. So that was that was my day to sleep in but I still had to be up and dressed and functional and at a place that wasn't my hotel room by, by 9. So um, – but yeah, it's 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 really hard because these are people that you you don't get to see and you don't get to to talk to on a regular basis, and so uh, it's uh, it, it's it, anyway, it's 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 a great time, and I, I guess what, what <laughs> my, my my sage words of mentoring and advice to you are is um, don't try to do so much and drink a little less. <laughs> yeah, well, my 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 drinking has been cut, sleep yeah, a little more, sleep a little more. My drinking has been cut back, and and. Uh, I think uh, managed effectively, um, but my, but, my but you were still but you were still out late. I was. That right. was the problem. I was I was out late drinking water, singing karaoke until two. Ah uh, yes. But, so I think I think it's the sleep that's important, not the lack of drinking, absolutely. or or maybe both together. Yes. Well, and and I do want to say that I want to report to all of our listeners and, and to the world as a whole. Um, I really feel that I hit my karaoke singing pinnacle at this meeting. Um, I've, uh, I, I have partaken in this, uh, in, in festivities to, to sing karaoke in the past, but never have I, uh, never have I really attempted to, to span so many genres from, uh, hip hop to power ballads to, um, uh, to rock and roll to duets, uh, new wave duets. So I just, I, I think it's, it, the meeting was a success for me because I've really come out of my karaoke shell. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um and really that's what's important here so um i'm uh, I, it was uh it, it was quite uh it, it was quite exciting for me uh and and probably not too many others <laughs> Well, you know, I have to say it was it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and I'm sorry that I I didn't get to stay longer uh, at at 
karaoke, but I was just, I just was ready to be ready to be done. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, I did get to see you and bats, uh, sing a duet, which was, which was pretty awesome. Are you, sorry, you and Gordon, and Gordon yeah. duet, which was pretty awesome. And we'll, uh, we'll link to that on, uh, on, on Facebook and, and we'll link to that in the show notes. So yeah, you and Gordon, and then this, uh, this really creepy DJ dude, uh, totally, uh, photo bombing hey, <laughs> the back of your picture. Tur- turns out like I'm, that guy's my new best friend. Oh, awesome. And, and in fact, at the end of the night, he said, Ben, why don't you come up and just pick a song to sing? Whatever you want. <laughs> oh. and right now. So I couldn't turn that down. Oh, uh, it would have been it would have been worth missing sleep to see that. I'm now now I'm sad. Now I'm uh, sad that I got sleep. <laughs> and, and I sang at that point. I sang "Rockin' in the Free World." Of course you did. Of course, I, my first attempt at, at a Neil Young song at karaoke. Anyway, um, uh, so let's should we, should we start the show? I, I it's we're we're an hour in. We should probably do a little bit of a show before we wrap this up. <laughs> um, I I've got um. We're, uh, I'd like to jump into a couple things. Is there anything oh, else in feedback well, or in follow up you want to talk about? Yeah, I just, yeah. I just want to say, um, you know, uh, one of the, uh, one of the, the tips, the, the podcasting tips that I remember from a, a talk that, uh, that Merlin and, and John Gruber gave at South by Southwest was, you know, pick a couple of people that you're that you're making the the thing for, and then try to delight them. And I would say that one of the people that <laughs> that I'm podcasting for is is Chuck Haas, who I always and it, it always gives me a little bit of a like a jolt when I realize that he's listening because he's a he's a really smart. I and he's sure to say if I say anything wrong, but he did send us some feedback. Remember the last episode we talked about Helicobacter, and I think uh, I might have mentioned that we don't really know very much about infectivity of food and blah blah blah. And, and Chuck Chuck sent a message back saying, "Hey, we've got a manuscript actually that's in revision um, and uh, on on a dose response curve for Helicobacter." So uh, that just again every time Chuck emails me or I see him and he mentions the podcast, it's like, "Oh crap, that's right, he's listening." I, I forget. <laughs> I forget that he's listening, and then I think back about, oh God, did I say anything stupid or did I say anything wrong? But anyway, so thanks, uh, thanks to Chuck for for doing awesome research and and for and for listening to the podcast. Well, cool. Um, I does it make you when when Chuck emails you? Does it make you think, oh man, I wish I was wearing pants when I recorded that? <laughs> no, no, I, I pretty, I'm pretty sure. Well, I don't. Yeah, I know. Mostly, it's like I just really hope I didn't say anything stupid. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I just assume I'm saying stupid things. <laughs> I hope I didn't say anything too stupid. Um, so I, I do have one extra little piece of uh, follow-up uh, here. Just uh, We talked in the last episode um, uh, about an outbreak that happened. Uh, salmonella outbreak happened at a Holiday Inn in Fayetteville. And since the that recording, um, the State Health Department released a, a report uh, on their investigation. And they did something weird. They actually released it on the local county health department's website and not on the state health department's website. I don't know what the, the political reason for that is, but anyway, uh, as I fished through the, the, um, the report and, um, uh, wrote a post about this on, on barf blog a couple of weeks ago, um, there's some really, I mean, two kind of key, one key thing, I guess I took away from it. So basically the report says, um, during, as a result of the investigation uh, that uh, the Department of Health uh, conducted, they uh, interviewed staff 
from uh, the hotel. Uh, and there was a lot of them, like 140 staff members. And these were people that worked at the restaurants, two restaurants associated with the hotel, as well as all the individuals that worked in the rooms. Um, so all staff from from this com- you know, this whole hotel complex. And they found um, that seven of the employees that they interviewed reported to health authorities that they worked while ill uh, and continued to work while ill as defined by the North Carolina food code. Um, about a day after that, that report came out, um, the manager from Holiday Inn, his name's Scooter Deal. Um, he, uh, put out a, a press release that, that refuted that report, that piece of information specifically in the report. And he said, well, that's not possible because, the, the, um, our staff members are required to notify managers if they are sick, and no one did. Um, and the quote that he had was, um, the restaurant would not allow an employee to continue working while ill, and the hotel has no knowledge or information to suggest that any employee continue to work while he or she was ill. Most importantly, a, any potentially ill employees have not been determined to be the cause of the outbreak. Um and and I, I you know the article that that I wrote or the post that I wrote for Barf Blog was I entitled it as he said she said because we've got two different stories here. I mean clearly the the folks that did the investigation say well no people were working well ill and they told us they just didn't tell you and and it, it, it you know to to sort of step back and say well, why didn't they tell you? Because if they were telling the health department, but they're not reporting it to you, you know, first of all, how effective is your employee health policy, which they say they have? And secondly, what's the, what's the reason? Why, why would they feel comfortable telling the health department and, and not you? And I, I think it has to do with this larger question. This came up actually at the symposia that I talked at, um, at IFP last, last week of, um, uh, minimum wage uh, employees and sick days and working while ill um, because it's a necessity for for their you know their family to support their family versus um, you know getting paid sick days and I know you get into this whole weird political situation by sort of you know someone's going to take advantage of it and all this kind of thing but clearly in this case you've got a hundred people sick it, it, seven people reported um, uh, working while ill. To me, and the, the health department draws the same conclusion, that's a risk factor. That that might not be the sole cause of this outbreak, but it certainly couldn't help. Um, and so it just, it's you know, just another one of these things of, well, I have a standard operating procedure and I have a policy in place, but but so so it must work. Not that and here we've gotten really you know, really good you know, anecdotally anecdotal information on the other side that no, just because some you have something that says they're gonna report and because you haven't had any reports doesn't mean that, that people weren't working well ill. And in fact, they were. Uh, well, and 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 yeah, yeah, this was this was a really nice uh, this was a really nice, nice barf blog post. And I'm glad that you put it in the show notes um, because it shows this is this issue, this particular issue of of ill workers working while ill or workers that are ill and working um, is a really important one. And. and and it says that the restaurant, and the, just reading again from the uh, um, <laughs> Scooter Deal, which is like the greatest name in the world, right? Incredible, incredible um, name. Uh, uh, he says that the restaurant would not allow an employee to continue working while ill. So my question is, what does that mean? Does that mean a worker comes to you and says, I'm ill? And they say, that's great. Go home. And by the way, we're not going to pay you. 
right? I mean, that's the real question. It's like, so we know a little bit about your policy and your policy on the face of it makes sense. No ill workers working while ill. But what does that exactly mean? And if you are a single mom or you, this is the, you know, you're, you're working this minimum wage job and you need this to work to make rent that month, what's the incentive to tell management? You know, I mean, unless you're just physically can't get out of bed, hell yeah, I'd go to work and I'd try to, I'd, I'd try to be careful. But, but, you know, if it's, if, it's, if it's a matter of putting food on the table for my family or having a place for my family to live, yeah, you can, you can bet I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie to management. I mean, that just, that's just a no-brainer, right? So what I want to know is exactly what is the policy, right? Um, and also the other thing too, which again, I'm not, this is not criticizing your post, but I just like some more information. Um, it says that um, it was revealed that seven food service workers as defined by the North Carolina Code Manual continued to work while ill. So what is, is that a definition of illness? Is that a definition of working? I, I'd like some more information about that as, as to exactly what does the North Carolina Food Code Manual say about this. So, and, right? and, and on this, I actually don't think it's – I think the way that the the sentence was written that was you know sort of copied right out of the report, it <laughs> refers to the food handler. So someone who um, fills a glass with ice – would be defined in that manual as a food handler. Um, someone who, you know, so a server, for instance, not sort of this traditional look of, I happen to work in the kitchen. That's the way that I read that sentence. But I'm, but I, now that I see what you're saying here, um, maybe the ill part is what's defined in the manual. Well, it's not a well-written sentence, and uh, I'm delighted to see that, that you copied it directly from the report because I, I would hope that you would not write a sentence so poorly formed as that one uh, I, and so unclear. But, yeah, so, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, clearly there's just some lack of clarity on, on both sides. But uh, the ultimate point of your post, you know, he said, she said – is absolutely true, right? So for some reason, seven workers con- confided something to the health department that they did not feel comfortable confiding to the holiday in management. Right. It was exactly. That's the that's the piece here that, um, and, and it's in Scooter. I mean, I hate to take shots at Scooter Deal, but if I'm in his situation, my you know this this is the risk communication world coming out. I'm not I'm not putting out a press release that says, well, they couldn't have possibly worked because we have a policy. What I'm saying is <laughs> right. Of course not. No. Well, no no one ever breaks the speed limit because we have posted speed limit signs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. W- what I'm saying is, oh man, our system failed. We had an outbreak. People told the health department they were working while ill. We need to figure out how to fix this. And and you know, and we're sorry that this happened. It was just kind of a ridiculous um you know, peace. Most importantly, any potentially ill employees have not been determined to be the cause of the outbreak. Like, well, that's your interpretation, because that's not that's not exactly what the report is saying. It's saying that, yeah, this was a risk factor. No, the, the report says that food workers showing up to work while ill was among the potential issues that can that likely contributed. Now, again, yeah, we don't we don't. It's not, it's right. not a smoking gun, but it, again, I, I'm trying to remember the details of this outbreak, but any time that, and we saw this with the, the fire, I think it was called the firefly in, in Vegas. We saw the same thing where, um, 
you, the epidemiology doesn't implicate any one particular food. Well, guess what? If, if the epidemiology says it's not one particular food, it's probably a food worker contaminating a bunch of things, right? I mean, or that's at least uh, not ruled out. It's a good guess. Exactly. That's, yeah. 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 That's, that's where, that, you know, that's the logical place to look is that, well, we don't have something that's common. What was common? Well, a bunch of food, bunch of food handlers. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I just I, I wanted to complete that story because we had talked about that outbreak a couple of times. Now, um, sort of speaking a, a little bit, you mentioned something about sort of messy epidemiology. <laughs> oh, <laughs> see what I did there? The, the mother, the nice segue, the mother of all me- messy epidemiologies is this uh, cyclospora uh, outbreak. And you, you actually have something in the show notes entitled uh, cyclospora messiness. <laughs> um, and so I'll, uh, I'll read from the uh, USA Today article that you, that you put in the show notes. So the headline is, some food safety experts worry salad, not outbreak culprit. And it, uh, the, the lead quote that you put in here is, again, from our friend Dave Gombas, who was on the roundtable that we just finished discussing. And here's the direct quote from Dave, quote, with 390-some people ill, you'd think it would be fairly easy to triangulate the traceback, um, end quote, to the food causing the illness, said Dave Gombas, Senior Vice President for Food Safety with United Fresh Produce Association, a produce trade group in Washington, D.C., Quote, so the fact that FDA and CDC aren't going along with Iowa and Nebraska gives me pause, end quote. Is that – Ben, do you think that's spin or do you think he's onto something? Um, I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think the his quote on you know the idea that we've got 390 um, you know, um, illnesses and, and uh, a case control study to go along with that in, in multiple states – doesn't that's not on its own messy sort of messy enough it's not i mean i don't think it's fair to say we've got these illnesses so it seems like we should be able to to link it to one food because um you know, we there's another thing in the show notes uh goes back to that 2008 um salmonella st paul outbreak and um you know in peppers that was initially traced to tomatoes what we have here I, you know, I think what makes it really, really difficult is is people got sick eating salads at restaurants, and a lot of things go into salads at restaurants. And the, you know, trying to pull out all of the stuff that goes into you know, you, you, this is not just like a five ingredient kind of product. Often it's probably ten or twelve, and that's where where things get messy. So I, I mean, I I agree with Dave's comments, and in fact, I was I'm I'm still hesitant because you know I I do look to CDC and and all the um, the the real true epidemiology experts that do this stuff day in and day out and have a a, a tight methodology to do this to, to say okay this is we're, we're we know that there are a whole bunch of people with cyclospora we don't know if it's all linked or not we know some of these illnesses are coming from this one product and and in fact since Dave um, had that that quote in USA Today there's there's been uh, an announcement of uh, of specific product um, pre pre washed salad mix the uh, from uh, Taylor Farms de Me- Mexico uh, the Mexican subsidiary of Taylor Farms, really, really big um, produce uh, company uh, that were distributed through Darden restaurants. But it, but it's not. I mean, it's still not a smoking gun. I think that there's, the, you know, th- things are messy, and and 
and, and outbreaks are messy, but some of it looks like it's a, it, it's linked to this, and some of it might be totally something else and just happened to happen at the same time. Well, and and you know, so to me, so okay, so it's Taylor Farms de de, de Mexico or Me, de Mexico, if you want to use the, your pronunciation. I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian, Don. I, I that's Aaron. Oh. You you see you see ye. You, <laughs> <laughs> or as he's known to the listeners of the show, uh, clarified Indian butter. Right. <laughs> um, you know, but so if if this is a, a salad mix that was served at Darden restaurants and I was in one of those states that hadn't implicated a food, I'd go back to all my all the people and say, hey, have you eaten at Red Lobster? Or have you eaten at, you know, uh, you know, blah, 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 all of the all of the different Darden restaurants, you know, and if you haven't, you know, in the last you know, whatever month. And if you haven't, then that's a clear indication that, um, it's not just that product. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is, it is really, it is really messy. And there's been some very good, there's been some very good posts on this. Doug, Doug had one recently <laughs> entitled Cyclospora Bad Advice in Vasectomies, where he talks about, you know, people giving uh, advice about uh, produce washing, and I, I blasted uh, the uh, tweet and, and and some other information that the folks at American Council on Science and, and Health, which is sort of like the 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 antimatter to to CSPI, right? So the Center for Science and the Public Interest is a consumer advocate. American Council on Science and Health is more. I wouldn't say they're an industry advocate, but um, you know they did have something that published on August first that said. Uh, The headline reads, CDC uh, colon outbreak mystery solved and um, and I sent a couple of made a couple of snarky comments on the internet saying well if by solved you mean we still don't know what the product was that caused this yes um, <laughs> now what's happened since then is that the Taylor Farms de Mexico has been has been implicated but at the time I wrote that to me it wasn't solved at all um, but again, that's that's kind of the spin that uh, 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 ACSH puts on things. Um, so you know, and then and then there was another very nice piece. Again, before uh, before Taylor Farms was implicated, uh, there's a very nice piece by Bill Marler um, uh, on Food Safety News uh, entitled "Publisher Platform: Colon Why the Cone of Silence." Uh, and and again, and Bill leads off with the with the linking to Doug's. Uh, quote about the leafy green cone of silence um and 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 in in that uh in that publisher's platform piece um i think bill lays out some really interesting arguments for and against cl- dis- or, or 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 in favor and, and against disclosure and non-disclosure um where he lays out what so what are the reasons for and against did did you read that piece i did yeah i thought it was i thought it was really good and he's he's talked about some of that stuff in the past on on other outbreaks so he'd, he'd reuse some of the material but i think it it, it sets out a a, a kind of nice um perspective on if you do if you go if you release more information and go public, this is what can happen. This helps. This actually helps the um, the situation for for you in the industry. Um, so yeah, it's uh, um, this this. I mean, it's it's horrible that we've got this. You know, kind of. I mean, this is a large outbreak too, right? Right. Um, and, and this is all kind of going on with with no. I, I mean, I, I've talked about this in, in in I don't know. You know podcast episode one probably and in in every episode afterwards it's it's that it can't 
by not sort of showing how messy this is and not sort of talking about it, you end up getting into trouble um, and not sort of showing showing your work behind all this stuff. And I think that that's I mean, I think that's Bill's Bill's point in that in that post is the same kind of thing that um, there's there's so much out there and it, and it ends up helping the um, the process. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I know I know I've heard these arguments from Bill before. There's a couple there's a couple of more that he added that was information feedback via email. But I mean, I think these are these are some really good questions to, to ask. And, and he actually is not. I mean, he actually does say, um, you know, he he's he is he's fat, balanced about it. I mean, he says uh, uh, the source was an unknown supplier. So naming the restaurant might place unfair blame on the restaurant. And he says, actually, this one does make some sense. However, uh, is this the unnamed restaurant's first problem with a faulty supplier, or is this a pattern? Right. And even if it is the first time, perhaps some of the unnamed product is still on the market. So, I mean, I think he does a again as as a good scientist would, and as a good lawyer would, he's able to arguing uh, both sides of any particular uh, any particular question. So, that definitely, if you if you haven't read that piece, I think it, it is a it is a is a, is a good piece, definitely to to read and, and to think about. Um, the the other piece on this that that I thought that I mean. It came up here, um, and why I threw it in the show notes where I did is uh, another Food Safety News uh, article that you posted in there about uh, tomato growers wanting compensation for the losses in 2008 outbreak. Yeah, this this is you know we're kind of we're kind of changing gears from talking about the current leafy green outbreak, but this could be, and this is exactly the reason why maybe. Uh, people shouldn't be so quick to name a product uh, exactly. So this is um, this is hearkening back to 2008 when we had this Salmonella St. Paul outbreak. Uh, originally, FDA. So it says uh, again. I'll read the 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 first paragraph from the story. Five years after the U.S. FDA legally but mistakenly warned people in Texas and New Mexico that tomatoes were likely responsible for a multi-state outbreak of Salmonella St. Paul, the tomato growers who suffered losses want to be compensated. And there was a claim filed. Seventeen growers in Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina want to be individually compensated uh, for a total of about forty million dollars. And I. Rem- remember this because I was in Europe when this happened. Bob Buchanan was there. Linda Harris was there. Michelle Danilek was there. And Michelle, again, works in Florida and, of course, works for the tomato growers. And when tomatoes were implicated, Michelle was like, well, it can't be Florida tomatoes because the timing is not right. Um, and and so – but yet there there it went. Um, so what do, what do you think about this, Ben? Do you, do you think that they ought to be compensated? Oh man, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I mean, so no, I guess I, my mm-hmm. my quick answer is is no. I just don't know if if that sets a really dangerous precedent. precedent. Yeah, where mm-hmm. where FDA or whomever has some information that could protect public health, whether it be right or wrong, would would take pause and say, you know what, if we don't get this right. And we wait a few extra days or, or whatever, uh, however long it is, until we get everything, all of our ducks in a row, then someone's going to sue us for compensation. It's going to be uh, a, a big problem. I mean, just in a purely public health um, situation, that to me matters. And, and they seem that regulatory agencies or, or government agencies, because we can include CDC in that, seem to have a hard enough time coming forward. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes, or at least not as fast as people like, at least like people like Marler would like them to do. So 
this is going to further impede that if, if this lawsuit is successful. Well, and, and I think that where you get into the, the issue, and, and this is maybe what, what FDA, I think, has learned since 2008 when they do go public, is not with these definitive statements. And I, I, mean, I don't have that in front of me right now, but, but to say – to the best of our knowledge, here's the data that we're making this decision on. Dispute it if you wish. Um, we believe that the implicated product is, is tomatoes or bag salad or whatever it is. Um, and, and here's, you know, it goes back to that show your work kind of thing. Here's all the reasons why we are leading to this decision. And here's here's the trigger for us to go to, to now bring this to you as the public. And if you'd like to the industry would like to look at this more. We'd like to know what, how we're making this decision. Here it is. But we feel that we have a, a, a duty um, to public health to let people know that this is what we think because this product might still be out there. And we, we definitely don't want other people um, eating it, especially because we might have some information that you know, that could lead to that um, to that case. So that that it, it's a much longer, you know, it's a much much longer discussion than health um you know health alert on tomatoes um but but that might that that might save this uh in the end i just i i don't know i mean i feel like this the, the other precedent that's that's odd on this this tomatoes and and if i was in the industry i'd be arguing for this too i mean i, I think that why not what what do you have to lose from from saying hey you damaged our industry but let's look at um Let's look at spinach uh, in, in 2006 as a great example of this. There's some really good um, USDA AMS data that showed, okay, outbreak happened, um, 0157. Uh, outbreak happened. There was an initial health alert that said, we don't know what kind of spinach it is. Don't eat spinach. Then it was nailed, uh, narrowed down to, um, uh, to, other, you know, to a specific spinach. Um, but the sales of spinach across the board dropped. You know, the um, the report that, that I've seen most recently was 30% and it has not recovered to what it was before 2006. So if I'm in the spinach industry and I wasn't part of that outbreak, why can't I then go and sue FDA or, or look, maybe sue's not the right word, but look for compensation from FDA to say, look, you just didn't nail, narrow it down quick enough and you may, you, you, you damaged my, my market. Um, and so that's the, like, I just don't know. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I said Sue and, and you're, you're completely right to, to clarify that it's talking about compensation. And I still distinctly remember standing in a New Jersey spinach farmer. Yes. Yes. We have spinach farmers in New Jersey, um, uh, trying to explain to him, to, to, to explain to him the FDA's point of view on this, realizing that this guy, his crop was just coming online yep. and he was going to have to disc it all under because honestly, um, you know, uh, he was he was about to get to get screwed over by this whole situation. Um, so it's. You know, it's it's messy and it's complicated. Uh, I, I really I feel for these farmers, um, and I certainly feel for that that small New Jersey spinach grower. But even these large these large companies that that get caught up in the you know the backsplash from this when it's not it's not their product or I mean you know so in this case it ended up being peppers from Mexico rather than tomatoes from the U.S. Uh, but but I you know even if it was tomatoes from the U.S. from a different state I would feel bad for those guys and I don't know there's got to be <clears throat> there's got to be some way through uh, insurance or, or something that that these guys can be protected from this um, uh, but yeah it's 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 definitely. It's definitely complicated, and I, I don't think I don't think we have a, a solution yet. 
No, I'm, but you're, you're exactly right. I think that your, your mention of insurance matters here. That, that instead of sort of government compensation, and I mean, that doesn't help the tomato growers in 2008. I mean, at all. This isn't a solution to, to that situation and the millions and millions of dollars that they've lost. But sort of going forward, if I was in the industry, uh, if I was selling anything, a, you know, a commodity of anything, I would want to have some sort of, I would seek out some sort of insurance that says, look, if the market tanks and I can't sell my product because someone else is ma making other people sick or we don't know what it is, I want to have some some protection uh, uh, on my business. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about the insurance world to, um, to know whether that exists or, or not, but that... I'm, you know, I'm a socialist Canadian hippie that lives in the U.S. and thinks that the industry and capitalism should should rule this one, and I think the government should stay out of the compensation world for for things like this because I think it gets too messy and and it's and it's an industry issue. Right, but I do I do want to come back to something that you said earlier, which I think was a really good point that I I think we can both agree we'd like to see more of is whenever. Somebody makes a claim, you know, like like uh, the folks in Iowa and Nebraska saying we've implicated salad mix or or whatever is show your work, right? Show me the data. When FDA implicated tomatoes in two thousand and eight, you know, I, I'd like I'd like to see the data. I'd like to see. I, I don't want just a talking head on the news and and a two paragraph press release. I want to see. The data, and I, I mean, I think we're a long, a long way away from that. But as a guy that likes numbers and likes to challenge people when they make claims about numbers and assumptions, I want to, I want to be able to check your work. Um, I, again, maybe that's easy for me to say. I think it's maybe hard for it to actually happen. But, but why, why would it be, why would it be so hard to 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 lay out all of that? Except if you were afraid of people challenging your assumptions. Right. I mean. There, that's the the double-edged sword, as they say, right? It's, well, someone might find that we didn't do it right or they're going to challenge it, so we're not going to put it out there. But it protects us because we're not talking in absolutes anyway. And and I'm on the, it protects us because none of this stuff's absolute. And, 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 and more, being able to show how you made your decision matters so much more in this situation and if the, if the, if that happened in 2008 i don't i mean it's not to say that the tomato industry isn't still looking for compensation for it um but i think they've, you've got a much better case from fda or from fda's side of of saying look we 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 did you know, you're you're not fighting it after the fact you're doing it in real time um and, and it it's but i mean I think that I mean the, this. Here's a great example that we're the, you know just coming back to cyclospora. That's exactly what CDC is doing right now, right? Is saying, well, Nebraska and Iowa have some data, and we're not we're, we're not saying that it's right or wrong. We just don't think it's as conclusive through this whole outbreak. So we're not going to go forward and say it's it's solid because it's just not it's, it's not clean enough. And they've done a pretty good job on their website explaining that. I mean, they have. A, uh, I mean, kudos to, to CDC again and again for being the most, um, I don't know, risk communication-y 
social media e uh, uh, public health agency out there by saying they, they have this question specifically on their website that says, well, why why isn't why isn't CDC saying that it's bag salad, but Nebraska and Iowa are, and they just answer the question, say because we don't think that the data is is great, and we continue to investigate, and then F, and, and FDA says, well, we're going to go on what Nebraska and Iowa are, are looking at for their cluster of illnesses, and we've we've implicated this this one product, but it doesn't mean that it explains the whole thing. I mean, I think they've learned in the last five years on, on how to better do this. But but to your point, it'd be really nice to see that Nebraska and, and Iowa data. Well, and again, to, to bring it back around to the IAFP meeting and looking at those Florida growers uh, back in 2008, um, should they in 2008 have been trying to use food safety as a marketing tool? <laughs> Isn't this what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it probably let's. This is great because it actually probably goes back to two thousand and six and seven for them, because yep. they, right? I mean, they they were silent, um, other than saying like what you said with Michelle on. Well, we're pretty sure it's not our stuff because it hasn't. You know, it, it's not our season. But a year or so later, they they talked about tea gaps a lot, which actually started in in two thousand and seven, um, and for. Salmonella reasons that had happened well before that 2008 um, situation, and saying, "Look, we've known about these risks. I mean, they did a good job after the fact, but they they didn't they didn't market it early enough before that outbreak. So, I mean, if, yeah, I'm, who knows what what you know all, all the what ifs and my aunt and her nuts or whatever the <laughs> whatever the saying is. <laughs> um, uh, but. <laughs> But, but I'm not sure what you're talking about, Ben. But that's okay. <laughs> well, I think we just found a show notes or show title. Um, but you know, all these what ifs. We, who knows what what really would have happened? But we can go back and say, um, all right, well, let's learn from from what went wrong and, and try to get this better in the future. Uh, and yeah, market that. And and uh, you know, mar- market it meaning not you know telling people why you're doing it. And being proactive about it, and letting people into the world of uh, of food safety, and let people make their decisions on it. Yeah, instead of instead of uh, I don't want to characterize it as whining, um, but instead of <laughs> whining about what happened in two thousand eight, why don't you why don't you get out in front and talk about all the good stuff that you're doing that you're doing now? Um, you know that I don't know. I mean that the the industry seems very reluctant to do that. Again, that was certainly Mike Robach's point uh, when he debated Doug on Tuesday. Was that the, they, the at least the meat industry doesn't want to release inspection records because it's too complicated and consumers don't, don't understand it. But you know, from what I gather from talking with Michelle. <clears throat> Tomato growers in Florida are damned progressive, and they are really doing some very, very good things in terms of food safety. It would be it would be great if they could talk about it more, and it might it might help to offset you know to come out like as soon as FDA says, well, it's tomatoes for Florida to get out there and say, look, we are highly confident it's not our tomatoes, and here's the reason. Here are the reason the scientific based reasons why. Absolutely, and then and then when there's not outbreaks going on, say, oh, by the way, here's what we're doing to make your tomato, your Florida tomatoes safe. Yeah, and come on and see it. Let's. Yeah. Well, um, should we talk really quickly about the just ridiculous message around washing your salads? I know you mentioned it a little bit. I, I mentioned it a little bit. Um, I've got I've got about another fifteen minutes, oh, and then I gotta go. But but yeah, I mean, we can just it's just just let's yeah. just let's just silently facepalm. 
<laughs> or we can not so silently hit our heads on the microphone because people love it when we do that. Yeah, so we'll certainly link. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll link to the the the, the BS. Uh, uh, American Council on Science and Health thing. Um, there's a, we'll, we'll link one more time to the Food Protection Trends article that's on the UC Davis website on recommendations for handling fresh-cut leafy green salads by consumers and retail food service operators by a whole cast of very famous food safety characters, including... Uh, Mike Osterholm, Pascal Delacuy, Jeff Farber, Katie Swanson, Dave Gombas, Larry Bouchard. It's like a who's who it is. Uh, of, uh, of food safety. Lin- Linda Harris, that I mentioned that, uh, Mary Palumbo, Jim Gorney. Um, again, uh, apologies to anybody who's, who I'm s- skipping and all that. But, but again, it's, this, is a, this is about as close to a, a diverse panel of experts from industry, academia, and government coming out and saying, if it's fresh cut, and it's in a bag. Don't wash it. It's it. It's not going to do. It's not going to make the risk any lower. And it might. It might make your risk higher. So. <sighs> yes. I, just, I wish I could get somebody at American Council on Science and Health to listen to me, but not today. Afraid. I'm afraid. Well, and it's kind of like um, my ongoing battle with the former American Dietetics Association, who says things like. Um, reusable grocery bags are a really, really good source of foodborne illness. And I, I hear that, that that it caused uh, food poisoning to go up in San Francisco. That it did killed people, killed people, <laughs> Don. Uh, uh. Um, so let me. Um, l- l- there's one more thing, and I sent you a message. Uh, I think it was on Friday last week um, on Jimmy John's. Oh and, yes, and let's 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 do this before before we both have oh. to run away. Yes, absolutely. This was this was a good one, and we definitely it's worth talking about. So um, Jimmy John's has had, gosh, I don't know, um, two. It might be three outbreaks uh, associated with their product and different types of sprouts. I think they had an alfalfa sprout outbreak and then a radish sprout outbreak. And I may be getting this wrong because I didn't prepare this part, but they want to bring sprouts back. Um, because the the people that eat at their restaurants really really want the sprouts, and so they posted on Friday, um, August first, uh, a, a a picture of a warning sign that they are going to put. Well, the 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 caption is, "If I bring them back, the sign will be in the stores." What's your thoughts on this? And I'll read from the sign, and you can see it in show notes. It says, warning, eating sprouts can and may kill you, exclamation mark. You can get sick and you can die. Eat at your own risk. Um, and there's a skull and crossbones and the uh, background is green and text is, is all in, in black. Then there's a, um, a, a smaller text that says, warning, the consumption of raw sprouts may result in increased risk of foodborne illness, especially if you have certain medical conditions. Children, older adults, pregnant women, and persons with weakened immune systems should avoid eating raw sprouts of any kind. Regarding the safety of these items, written information is available upon request. So... What do you think about this? Well, as I wrote in my email to you, Jiminy Christmas, uh, I think if we struck out the word sprouts and we inserted the word food, so it says uh, eating food can and may kill you. And we, we put this at all restaurants and supermarkets. And if we did a direct mailing to everybody in the U.S. and have them stick it on their home refrigerator, that would really improve food safety because then people would know that there's risks. Um, <laughs> or, or as I said also in my email, we should just follow the advice of Dean Cliver. And I seem to be repeating Dean's advice a lot these days. Uh, and Dean said the risks of not eating still outweigh the risks of eating. So 
rather than than and this is you know this is an example of just Jimmy John's. It's like I I don't know if I'd ever want to eat there because this is just this is just nonsense. Uh, rather than uh, put making a joke about putting that sign up, um, how about you set up a food safety program? And with your sprouters, and you and you and you get them on board with respect to food safety. What are you, what are you what are you Jimmy John's doing to assure the safety of the sprouts that you buy? Right? Because um, I know, and again, uh, I've made this comment before. Whenever I talk about sprouts, I like to talk about my friend Bob Sanderson, um, who works for Jonathan Sprouts, and and Bob is a I consider him a, a food safety professional. He's he's a he's a smart guy. He's self-educated on this issue of food safety, and he's a sprouter. And he runs a clean operation. He does tons and tons of testing. He cares more about food safety than I think many of the other people that I know uh, that work in the food industry. And I, if I liked sprouts, I would eat his sprouts in a heartbeat because here's a guy who who cares about food safety. So. Jimmy John's, show me that you care that much about food safety. Tell me about the, the safety program that you have set up with your sprouters, and what are you doing to make sure that you buy safe sprouts? I, I mean, absolutely. I think this is an interesting um, discussion here. So I don't know if this is a joke or not, first of all. I actually think that they're going to do this. <laughs> um, but – what 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 you're talking about is 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 missing here. Yes, we're talking about risk. We're we're giving someone some information. It may look like this is done in a in a uh, sort of facetious way, which which might um, defeat the the communication purpose. But they do have a chance, as as you said, to to talk about. Okay, this is this is fine, um, but tell people how you're working to make your sprouts safe. It's I mean, do you see this? I guess the from a from a communication standpoint, this is okay. Like this isn't. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I get your point on. We could say this about all all foods. I think the part that's at the bottom is where it what matters, and that you've got specific groups that may be at higher risk for foodborne illness. That in this, if they do choose to to eat this product, um, regardless of uh, no, I shouldn't say that. If they do choose to eat the, the product and there's a standing sort of comment from FDA um, that at least they have the information that there's a risk uh, associated with it, I think I, I think that the subtext needs to be bigger than the other text. But but Marler, here's a um, the, the I've seen him talk a bunch about this this idea of warning labels on uh, and safe food handling labels on raw beef in homes that say, you know, this, this product could contain a pathogen, um, you know, requires you to, uh, do your best to not cross contaminate and cook with thermometer, all that kind of stuff. And his point that he's, he's made is what the label needs to say is beef could F and kill you. And so here's Jimmy Johns that's either listened to him or has done this on the other outside and said, Oh yeah, well, here we go. Eating sprouts could F and kill you. Um, eat at your own risk, and and it, they don't do enough to, a job sort of talking about what the what's behind this. I mean, I think we could redesign this for them uh, a, a little bit, but this this is this this gets to some of the um, some of the stuff that that we're looking at with this. Uh, I talked about in episode forty five on um, undercooked uh, burgers and um being able to get information from a server they're they're attempting to do something here i don't think they're doing it very well um and interesting uh lee well it might be to you um 
I had a um, a summer student who's uh, working for me this year to go and read the you know um, I don't know how many comments there are here uh, four thousand nine hundred and forty comments that are on the Jimmy John's uh, post and she did a random um, sample of five percent of the of the comments to encoded them uh, on Friday and um, about half of them are individuals that say, I don't care about this risk. I mean, it's not, this is not going to change it. I just want you to bring the sprouts back. And to your, to your comment on, um, you know, producers that we, we coded as producers should take more precautions. So the sprouts are safe. Um, out of the, uh, 5%, let me just look at the numbers here. Um, out of the 5% of the, uh, the comments that, that she's coded, um, less than 2% talk about that. And so, so I wonder how much of this is Jimmy John's marketing of knowing a little bit more about who their audience is than, than you and I do and saying, look, people are going to eat this. They're going to eat more sprouts if they first of all want it. They're not going to use this risk, uh, you know, heed this risk message. Um, and uh, they don't think it's that big of a risk anyway. So anyway, I just kind of talk circular around that. I think. Well, and and so I'm just looking at the Jimmy John's menu, and I guess my question is, okay, that's fine. You want to you want to have a warning label for sprouts. Well, what about, what about ham and cheese that yep. might have a listeria risk? Uh, what about lettuce and tomato uh, that might that might be sourced from Mexico or that have cyclospora or or salmonella on it? What about the mercury risks in tuna? Um, they have sliced cucumber here. Well, cucumber has been implicated in an outbreak, um, and and that's that's just the first you know five or six items on the menu. So, you know, I I just I I. I'm not sure that it's helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, maybe you could say, well, Jimmy John's has had outbreaks with sprouts, and so that's a special case. And, you know, maybe that, that, that argument would begin to sway me. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, the, the risks of not eating still outweigh the risks of eating. I can't help but come back to Dean Cliver's advice there. To- yeah. I, I hear you, but but I I, lo- I love the fact that you have graduate students and you can tell them go on Facebook and <laughs> and, and code these comments. That to me that is that's the that's to me that's the most exciting thing about this whole this whole thing that we've been doing is that you can have graduate students go and collect information like that and you've actually you've actually learned something useful from Facebook. <laughs> I, absolutely, and I, I'm going to note she's she's a high school student, not even a graduate oh, student. Awesome, and awesome. Uh, yeah, she's been she's been really great this uh, this summer at, at doing things like this and we've got her working on a whole bunch of facebooky type things and she's developing a survey to find out what teens know about food safety and um just to get started in that area but yeah it was it was cool i just sent it to her and i was like hey um can you go can you go read these comments and code them for me <laughs> and then let's look at what it says but it, it's th- this is uh, I, I mean i think this is a this is a fun experiment that what Jimmy John's is doing. If I was in the sprout industry, I would not think this is a fun experiment. <laughs> well, no, and and I, and I think I mean again, I'm not not to shill for the sprout industry or to defend them, but but to say, look, there are uh, there are some good people out yep. there, um, and and I think that if I if I really wanted to wind up uh, Bob Sanderson, which I don't because he's a he's a nice nice man, I would show him this this uh, this this Facebook page because it's just. You know, I don't know. It just, it just something about it rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Well, I wonder if maybe Bob Sanderson will see compensation from Jimmy John's. <laughs> <laughs> he he probably won't. He'll probably just 
you know, mumble something and shrug his shoulders and say, oh, it's hard to be a businessman these days. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what? What's, yeah, I mean, you, you make a really good point here is what's, what really is missing here is to say how you reduce risk in, in producing sprouts. And, right. and, and if we look at the, if, you know, I'm just scrolling down some of these comments and in the ones where people are like, hey, I'm not going to eat sprouts or ones where they are concerned. People are talking about, well, you can you can make sprouts, you can just grow your own sprouts at home if you really want sprouts, and throw it on your Jimmy John's afterwards. And they they kind of what what's missing is the is the why behind this. Um, well, and you know it's interesting you bring that up because Kristen really does like sprouts, and we've talked about this. And I'm like, well, you know what, sprouts are risky because the seeds are contaminated, and so the the key, as I understand it, from talking with Bob and from doing some of our own research, the key is you want to start with tested seeds, seeds that are as likely as possible to be free of contamination. Because guess what? If you have contamination on those seeds, there is no way to sprout those seeds, to turn those seeds into sprouts without enriching for the concentration of pathogens, of bacterial pathogens. And so what you want to do is you want to start with the highest quality seeds available. And so that's what I, I emailed Bob. And I said, look, Bob, my wife wants to start sprouting seeds. Where should we buy our seeds? And he recommended somebody that we can go to to, to buy our seeds from because this is a reputable guy that produces a high-quality product. That That's the way you make safe sprouts. And then you have a testing program and all this other stuff. But you start with buying high-quality seed that is as likely as possible to be free of pathogens. Right. And and I'd like I'd like to know, you know, if if, if Jimmy Johns wants to bring it back, what's their what's their plan? How are they going to manage that risk? And again, I am not a normal person. I know that again as you learn from the what your student uh, this research that your student did on Facebook, people don't care about that, but but for, as a food safety professional, if I was giving free advice to Jimmy Johns, I would say, "Show me show me your data, show me your program." Uh, absolutely. And um and that's what's that's kind of what's missing here. Hey, you have a hard out. I do. I do. We should. We should. Uh, we should end it. We should end it. Um, we need to. Uh, we need to come back at some point and talk about uh, scheduling and, and all that stuff. And there, there is. There probably is some after dark not to record stuff. So uh, we should. We should talk. Uh, we should talk later today at some point. Are you? Are you free later today? I am. Yeah. Give me. Uh, yeah. Shoot me a text and we will. We will do it. Sounds good. Cool, Don. As always, this has been a pleasure, and I'm glad we saw each other in person and then virtually again today. So thanks. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ben. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yay, it worked. We did not, you're right, we did not have any Skype problems on the first call. Skype, 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 Skype. So, so the podcast was so good today, let's just do it again. Yeah, let's just, here we go, let's find part two. Do you have your script? I've got my script. Um, (laughs) Hello, Don. Welcome to Food Safety Talk. This is After Dark. How are you? I'm fine. 
<laughs> so so I just uh, I just did so so for those of who are listening at home and following along, um, Ben and I just recorded an episode, and then I had to immediately get off the call um, because I had to do a video Skype interview with IFT. Um, and IFT was, was, is doing some video thing on the safety of school lunches, like, like on, on lunches you pack for yourself. Uh, and they wanted to do it by video. Did, and did you make your lunch? No, no, no. I, but I talked about lunch. Um, but so, so she calls me and I answer the phone and she calls video call on Skype. And of course I have my headset on and I've got this ginormous road podcaster mic in front of my face. And she's like, Oh yeah. Um, could you take the headphones off and maybe move the mic out of the shot? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. But let me just unplug the mic and use and use the, the display, you know, the display video, which we're using already. And then, and then also the, uh, the display audio. And she's like, no, can you plug the mic back in? That sounded better. So, but, but apparently, so you can apparently use these rod road podcaster mics and then just uh, move them out of the shot. And apparently it sounds pretty good. So, Hey, that's all right. But, it, but it did, it did have as a backdrop, my very messy office. Um, <laughs> but she didn't seem disturbed by that. I, I disturbed me, but anyway, <laughs> Because well, that was one of the things, you know, when we when we did uh, when we did our first appearance on uh, on Five by Five, Dan was this was for a video show, you know, which Dan was doing at the time, and he's like, well, just make sure you have a blank background. So actually, I went into a separate. I was did it from work, and I did it in the, in our conference room, and and used the cinder block wall behind me. Um, and ever since then, I've always been like paid attention to that, but but apparently not so much. So. Well, well, there you go. Um, so did you tell people how to uh, keep their lunches safe? Oh, yeah, I, uh, it's like I'm I'm spoiled forever, Ben, because you and I can take an hour and a half and get to a couple of good points. And I I just like it's like, yeah, oh, well, my first my first advice was make your kids a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I didn't think about the allergy issues. Maybe you're not allowed to make peanut butter sandwiches anymore. I don't know. Um, so my first advice was make your kid a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. My next piece of advice was, well, if you're going to make them a protein salad or a deli, you know, a, a luncheon meat salad, you know, and they can make their own salad, then, you know, it's best to keep the other ingredients separate. And I don't know. It was it was horrible, but whatever. We'll we'll link to it if if they if it comes out at some point. Um. Anyway, she seemed very happy with what we did. So, right. well, that's good. <laughs> I don't know. That's really all that matters. That is. That is. Hey, I've been uh, I've been I've been um, Skype cheating on you a lot lately. We forgot to talk about in the in the main. I know you don't want to even talk about this. I was I was a guest on another podcast. Well, I might I might go listen to it, but like I told you, it's it's a little bit awkward. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's a pretty good interview. I was listening to it again today, um, just to as a, a kind of a whatever because I wanted to check it out. So it, he's very he's a very kind and generous man. He's he's and he's he's, a, he's very he's very nice. So it it actually turned out pretty good. We'll uh, we can we can link to this in the in the the after dark show notes. So it's it's a little bit meta. It's a it's a podcast about podcasting. Um, and uh, a number of people that I that I follow on the internet were guests on the show, and I I emailed the guy say, and I said, so you probably are booked like way in advance, but um, I I would be willing to be on your show, and he emailed me back like right away and said, no problem, can you be on it next week? Wow, <laughs> I'm like, okay, sure. sure. So it ended up, uh, but anyway, it was it was it was it was a lot of fun, and I've actually since started listening to a number of episodes of the show because it's just. Uh, 
I don't know. It, it's it's a pretty good show. He does he does he does a nice job. Uh, that's uh, Chris Ends, uh, uh, I think his name is. So. And I started following him on Twitter. Ah. Uh, based on your um, you being on his uh, on his show without me. Uh, oh, so you're 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 stalking him a little bit. <laughs> just just for something to do. I like to internet stalk people. That's how I learned a lot of things. That's that sounded creepy. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. Um, what about the twenty first? That's fine. Will you be back from vacation by then? I will for my staycation. <laughs> I think so. I mean, like I said, tentatively, it could, it's open ended. It's like I'm Lindsay Lohan and I'm going to go through uh, Europe. That was her post uh, um, rehab. John, I'm, I think <laughs> I probably have gone too far into pop culture now for anybody. Um, so, so uh, yeah, August 21st is good. Uh, 20th, I think I'm going to be doing some cantaloupe stuff. It's I ha- I'm holding it right now. Uh, but yeah, 21st is good. I should be. I will be back by then. Okay, and then the twenty second we have a preschool open house, which oh, is really excellent. Exci- yeah, very exciting. Um, so what, what what goes on at preschool open house? I don't know. I'm excited. So both of our boys will be going to preschool this ah, year. Okay. So Jack has been going the last two years. This is Sam's first year, um, and so the open house. I think we get to go meet their teachers and do fun things. But it's uh, during the day on the twenty second. And, and when does when does uh, they're they're on summer vacation now, right? They are, yeah. So, so school here, preschool at least, are the one that we that we're going to. It follows sort of the traditional northern um, uh, time frame, so it doesn't start until the day after Labor Day. Oh. But but kids here, we we have but, but year, the... yeah, we have year round schools too. So you have oh. this like choice of year round or traditional. And I think that year round schools, I know year round, some of them have been in since G- July first. Um, Wow. And like that's the so we our neighbor next door actually started she's she's a year older than Jack and she started school um, I think the twentieth of July maybe um, and then they go like you know three weeks on and a week off and then six weeks on and two weeks off and I don't oh. I don't know the the whole thing I think we'll probably do that like right now we have to we don't have to really make the decision until January but I think we'll put our boys both into year round school. Um, and mainly just for the like selfishness of, of my schedule, you know, you, we get to do lots of cool travel every once in a while. I'd like to take the family with them, with me. And yeah. if I can organize it, so it's not during the traditional summer, you know, we're not, we're not limited to those, you know, specific dates. It may work out better. So, yeah, it seems to me like that's just long overdue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand the tradition of summer vacation, but yeah, it's just, it seems to me it's just an anachronism. And and there's some like you know as as we become parents and look into evidence based decision making and stuff like that, there seems to be some like really good data that says um, summer vacation is a problem for reten- like retention of information for kids, especially at like years six to ten. So the it's really a, a model to say okay, well you've learned this much in math and yeah we're going to take three weeks off, but it's not like you're going to take eight weeks off and we're going to get right back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'm I, I yeah I think it's it's kind of a cool um, situation. So so anyway, preschool for them starts uh, again in September, and then Danny Danny is training. I think I I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but she's training for a marathon in November. So she's uh, she's really looking forward to Tuesday and Thursday mornings because that's when the boys are both in preschool. So she's like, hey, I can just go run. I don't have to worry about anybody else's schedule. Nice. Yeah. So so yeah. Okay. So twenty. Right, so twenty first. Yeah, twenty first. Um, and. Other than, well, it's in my Outlook uh, calendar, 
right now, but I haven't updated. Uh, <laughs> um, I have an updated it's, it's, thing. It's in my Outlook calendar too, and by my Outlook calendar, I mean my calendar. Right. Yeah, my calendar. <laughs> my too. not Outlook calendar. And it's called. You know what's great about Apple is my calendar is called Calendar. <laughs> huh. It's funny. Um, anyway, so other than that, that appointment that we both have in our Outlook calendars, uh, I'm free all day. And, and yeah, that that very informative uh, appointment called update exclamation mark exclamation part mark. Yep, that's the one. Committee meeting. Yes, that's that's the one. Um, do you want to go with uh, a, a breakfast a breakfast sode a breakfast sode? Um, that that's fine. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, I have to. I have to <laughs> put on pants and drive to work that day. Oh. Um, but yeah, but at ten o'clock, uh, ten o'clock would work. That'd be perfect. I'll put that in, and we can. I'm, I'm flexible that day, so if we something comes up, we can do it. Later. We can do it after our update. Update! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! So, sounds good. Cool. Um, and I have uh, show audio for the one we just recorded for episode 46. In, indeed, and I'll do I'll do show notes and of course by then I mean Andreas will do show notes and I'll edit them. We we didn't talk about Andreas on on the show, but no. this is for after dark. It, wasn't it cool to see him? And is oh, this, it was great. It was I mean to meet him in person and he came up to me at one of the receptions. He's like he just looked at me and he goes like he didn't say anything and he was like ah and I'm like you're Andreas. <laughs> It was really cool. <laughs> to me, to me, the best part of the whole thing was because he was at uh, karaoke with us, um, and, and I realized that he hadn't met Michelle. I went over to Michelle and I said, "Michelle, this is Andreas from the podcast," and she got and she was like so excited. <laughs> that's so that's so true. And then he also got to meet bats from the podcast. There it was it was amazing. This this we it was like our we a, a podcast outing. It was. It was, except for Gordon, who wants to be on the podcast, but he still hasn't listened. We need to get him on the podcast, but he has to listen first. Maybe he's listening to this right now. <laughs> I doubt it. Unlikely. Just like Dr. Linda Harris. Um, so, cool. Yeah, that was that was really good. I, I, Andreas, I know you, this is probably awkward to hear us talking about you and not have, having a conversation about you, but it was really cool to meet you. So, And we appreciate – I know we say this every time in the emails, but we really do appreciate everything that you do for us. And I know that the listeners do, including Tom Sieberts, who uh, was very, very excited today on Facebook when um, we posted <laughs> show notes – or not show notes. A little, little bit too excited. I'm worried about yeah. Tom. Tom, Tom in all caps wrote thank you god oh yes once don uh posted that the uh that episode 45 was up so he's he's been waiting and we gave him a super double extra long one in 44 so um so hopefully ho hopefully tom's ready for 46 or yeah, was and our, ready. our our mailchimp our mailchimp uh, newsletter is working uh, very well so it automatically sends out an update so if you um if you don't listen using iTunes and you or you don't have some automatic way to find out about new episodes or you want to find out about new episodes please um you can subscribe to our MailChimp newsletter and you'll get uh, basically an email message uh, overnight. Uh, the night after it posts, uh, sometime during the overnight, uh, you'll get an email message coming into your in email inbox, which uh, which will have the, the show notes and then it'll have a link to the audio. Um, oh, and, uh, and, and Carl Custer is now listening. We just got an email message not too long ago from, uh, from Carl Custer. So uh, we'll have that for, uh, for follow-up for next time. So that's very exciting. 
Absolutely, and Carl, in only the way that Carl can, as he responds to things on um, on on Food Safe, has got little like a whole list of of bullets. Um, it was awesome. It's so great, and we we need to we should we shouldn't put it in the after dark. We should we should save it for the real show. So we'll have yes. that for next time. Absolutely. Um, so shall we end after dark now, and then start after after dark? <laughs> we should. Okay. So. So um, uh, I'll, I'm going to uh, stop recording. Yes, and I'm going to stop recording, but I'm going to say goodbye and thanks for After Dark and stuff. And now I'm stopping recording. Okay.